Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. We've got a chief nursing officer with us today, and he is a people person for sure. He is passionate in his stance that relationship building is core to a leader's ability to influence culture and increase employee engagement. I couldn't agree more. Great guests on this show are awesome storytellers, and Shane has so many stories and illustrations to show the impact of investing time in human connection. We're going to talk all about humanizing the workplace on this episode. You're going to love this. Shane Carter, welcome to Gut Plus Science, our special healthcare subseries. Shane, as a chief nursing officer for nearly a decade, you know, you believe strongly in relationship building and see it has a direct impact on employee engagement in your workplace. Did you have a specific mentor in your life, like role model this? Could you share a little bit more about that? When I look back at um, a, a specific leader in my life um, that has become a role model, I probably haven't recognized, I didn't recognize this early on in my career as a nurse, um, but more importantly, as I got into leadership and probably wasn't until after his death that I reflected and said, you know what, this man did more for me than just being a grandfather. I think he set me on a path for leadership that I didn't even realize I was on. And, uh, and that's my, my grandfather. Um, I call him Grandpa Goss or, or, or Big Grandpa, as my, gran- as my kids call him, um, his grandkids. But he was there for me, you know, obviously it's interesting because I was born on his 50th birthday, June 19th. Um, so we had an opportunity to celebrate, you know, 30 plus years uh, of birthdays together. Um, and so it's coming up here pretty soon. So it's kind of um, perfect that we're, we're talking about him. He saw me through, through high school, you know, through my whole life, but more importantly, at the end of his life, through my uh, going on to this, this career um, and leadership. And he never really said anything about it. He was more cautiously optimistic for me, I think, because, you know, I started off as a chief nursing officer at 31 years old and so fairly young into my career. And so I think he was cautious and saying, way to go, way to go, grandson, because um, of my little time spent at the bedside. And he understood that. When I reflect back on, on his his leadership style. And so I'll explain a little bit of who he was that might maybe explain this better. He was an educator. So he was a, a Marine who fought in the Korean War, came back um, to Wisconsin where he grew up and put himself back through school, playing football for UW-Madison and always wanted to, to be a teacher and educator. And so through his career, he was a wrestling coach, a football coach, a track coach, um, a gym teacher, also did um, behind the wheel teaching. And so he, he was just kind of all inclusive. And I think the reason why he did that is because it, it kept him connected to, to the kids and, and, and gave him a insight to the passions that he had um, in his life, which was sports and athletics and, and, and just mentoring and teaching young individuals. So at the end of his career, you know, he went into leadership roles and where he probably spent the last 25, 30 years of his life being a high school principal and retired really, really late in life to the point where he was able to coach and educate and to be the principal uh, for schools um, all over the state. But more importantly, um, where his kids and his grandkids grew up. So, you know, he taught and coached all my aunts and uncles on both sides of my family. And I had the privilege of, of playing for him um, in football. 
all the way up until my until my junior year. And so that was a, a wonderful experience to not only um, be mentored by him in regards to what classes I should be participating in, ma- making sure that um, I was meeting with my guidance counselors to set me on the right path for further education and on to college. But more importantly, how to be uh, a leader in life, a leader in the classroom, a leader on in the field or on the court. So, you know, I, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. Um, I graduated with eight or four people in, in my class. We had, you know, 3,000 people in town. So very small school, but provided the connections and the abilities to build kind of my personality and, and who I have become. And and that's where I guess I look back and say, you know, he he was able to Help me walk through that and understand that you really have to take the time uh, to listen to people when times are tough, but when times are good, to understand who they are, what makes them tick, how to communicate effectively with individuals, whether that is peers, whether that is, you know, in that situation with him, you know, he, he really said, you know, we, as I got older in school, junior, senior year, you know, he's like, it's your job to mentor, you know, the freshman class. And so, you know, there was no hazing. There was no treating the freshmen like they were underclassmen on the field and, and, and in the classroom. And so, and it's interesting because I, you know, I just um, posted something on social media and one of my um, high school classmates, younger sister, who was really, really young was, well, Shane, one of my first memories of you is you were one of my brother's nice friends. And so, and that really like, okay, you know, I didn't intentionally back in high school try to be nice, but I think I just was inherently nice because of not only how I grew up, but how I was mentored. Um, so that that's what's important to me is is that niceness, that the niceness factor. And so I think that's just stuck with me. Um, and he's ingrained he ingrained that into me in my personal life, and now I think which has transferred into my professional life. And so when I look back, uh, he was a leader in essence uh, in education, a leader in athletics, particularly in the world of football. There was probably a lot that he was teaching me along the way, and, and it's now I'm starting to realize what he's actually teaching me. So he's probably the most influential mentor that I've had in, in my life. When I transitioned into healthcare now, you know, it was probably a struggle for me um, deciding what career path I went to and decided nursing for, for multiple reasons. But, you know, early on in my undergrad and clinical experiences, I, I really felt I wanted to go into intensive care. And so uh, was able to do that locally, get my clinical experiences. And I worked with an individual as a preceptor, and her name was Paula Mathis. Now, I take you back to 1999, 2000 uh, is when I met her. She was my preceptor in my clinicals. She ended up becoming my senior two mentor uh, preceptor for my last clinical rotation, which, again, I did in the ICU, same hospital. You know, I really wanted to stay working there, and she was really supportive of me coming on board, it, it, and it just didn't work out. So I hiked my butt out to Colorado, worked out there for a year, coming back to Wisconsin, and thought, well, I'll, I'll try to get a job back in that unit. And she was one of the lead nurses at that time. She interviewed me. I ended up getting the job. She ended up being my preceptor in, in ICU settings. You probably on orientation for a good three months. So spent three months side by side with her. And just learned from her on her compassion, her knowledge, uh, her bedside skills, her abilities to communicate effectively with physicians and, and other nurses and leaders. And it was just like, I'm just in awe of this woman, you know, and she just did always just did a fantastic job when it came to the clinical side. But more importantly, the human connectionness and, and the caring side of it. 
and that was, you know, a couple of years, uh, about a year working there. And, you know, she approached me and said, Shane, I'm, I'm going to go work for a new healthcare system that's coming to town, which at that time was Aurora building a new hospital in, in our, in our city. And I said, well, Paul, I'm comfortable here. I, I really don't want to go. And she's like, well, just so you know, if you come, I'm going to be the lead nurse over in the ICU there and I'll ensure that if there's that there'll be a spot for it if you want to come. So she went through the first orientation wave here at Aurora. Uh, she called me up a couple weeks later after she spent some time here and said, Shane, you, you got to come. I want you to come. I, I need you on my team. And so reluctantly, but yet um, optimistically, I came um, over to Advocate Aurora Health. And so it was kind of early on in my life. I think I was 23 years old when I came to Aurora Healthcare here. Um, started off on the night shifts in the ICU and very quickly she supported me and being the first educator in the ICU at 24 years old, which, you know, there was many more experienced nurses, but I think she saw something in me that, you know, could be a partner with her. She started to get promoted through the organization, became a supervisor, became a manager. We always stayed friends. We always stayed colleagues. Um, but over time, she was going the leadership path and I went back to school to be a nurse practitioner you know, then I kind of molded out of the ICU, went to become a house supervisor. But again, she was always kind of my mentor, my boss, somebody that I could reach out to, you know, during our whole, you know, first seven, eight years here together at Advocate at now Advocate of Rural Health. You know, after graduation in 2010, I was tapped on the shoulder to take this interim chief nursing officer position. And she was the first person I went to to tell this to because she was going to be able to tell it to me straight, like, you know, I was expecting her to say, why you? Why not me? I've been a leader longer. None of that. It was all, Shane, you would be amazing at this. This is absolutely the right fit for you. You have to go do this. Take this on. This is, this, you have to do this. I want you to do this. And so, you know, she was really the driving force and encouraging amongst some other people to take the risk and, and take this this job on. Because my my vision was to really practice and care for people. That's really what I wanted to do. That's what I love doing in the ICU. And I wanted to go and be a nurse practitioner, but I thought, well, you know, this is what the people that I trust are telling me this is a good option. So let's, let's go try it. So she's one that I look back and, and say, you know, without her support um, in my bed, bedside practice career, uh, taking the risk and asking me to come back and work for her in both hospital systems, pushing me to take this on and to this day, you know, tw you know, 20 plus years later, we're still working side by side. She's still somebody uh, that I bounce things off of, a confidant in, and uh, has been just a, an absolute asset to, to my development and, and now further on in my leadership. Because she tells it to me straight, Shane, that was, a, you know, I don't know why you said that. That's a stupid idea. Hey, have you ever thought about this? So she's still somebody that I lean on, lean on, and, and, and she has no reporting structure to me at all, but she's still somebody that I, I value and I have faith in that she's going to be uh, honest with me and we have a great relationship. Let's uh, go a little deeper into this passion that you have for building relationships to see higher levels of engagement. When you think of relationship building as a skill, Shane, what comes to mind as the highest priority in mastering this or doing it well? You know, it's going to sound so simple, but really it, it's knowing the individual at the level beyond what their title says it is. And I guess an example that came, two examples that came up today. Uh, one of my leaders is in radiology. 
I, I know nothing about radiology. I'm a nurse leader, but as part of my responsibility is to, uh, to manage, operate, and be the vice president uh, in title over radiology. But I, I defer to expertise, right? One of the principles of uh, being a high reliable organization and high reliable leader is to really defer to those that that know what they're doing. And one of my leaders down there, she's an absolutely fantastic asset, has been promoted through the organization and is in a manager role now. You know, just as simple and her comfort level. She texted me this morning, her son's not doing too well and she needs to stay home today. And, you know, absolutely. And, and I can't, I don't just leave it at that. You know, I'm like, okay, well, what's wrong? You know? And uh, so my clinical side kicks in and my, my fatherly side kicks in and, so we end up having, a, through the subsequent hour that followed after that, a conversation where I'm clinically trying to get into helping her with trying to figure out what's going on and what to do and what to look for, you know, and, and in the end, um, you know, it, it ends with a thanks and I'll keep you posted, appreciate your support. But I ask those questions not because I, I feel obligated to, I ask those questions because I honestly care and I, I want to make sure because, you know, I have little kids and my son went through you know, a bunch of things early on in his, his life, you know, some surgeries and some injuries and, and some things. So I, I know what parents go through. And so making that connection and letting them know that you support it, you know, I could have simply said, okay, good luck. Uh, see you on Monday. But being able to do that and connect with uh, the team members it is important. Another example, I walked into the ICU manager's office today and wanted to ask her a few questions because you know, because of Wambi, we wanted to give some rewards to our team members who uh, filled out the pre-survey and had high participation. So I was talking to them about our rip, our rip your float celebration. So where do you where do you want them? Do you want to send the email? Do you want me to send the email? So we're just having some work conversations, but then it slowly turned into a personal conversations to the point where. You know, she's asking me some advice. Should I do this? Should I do that? And and next thing you know, we're exchanging pictures about our, our son's injuries. You know, my son just got stitches on his knee. And so for a half an hour, I, I spent time connecting with the leader in a way where, yes, it started where, with a, a work question and a works uh, problem we had to solve out. But because of our relationship, we were able to connect on a different level that I hope then that she walks away to say, you know what, um, I, I feel cared and appreciated to the point where it's not just popping in and out of an office. Hey, did you get this done? Okay. See you later. You know, it is, it's that human, that human connectedness uh, and that, I, that I actually um, care about what's going on in her life outside of these four walls. So I, I think that is what I would say is the highest priority is, is just taking those extra moments to get to know your team and your team members to the point where they walk away from that experience and go, you know, that's genuine. That's that's honest, caring about. And then you try to lock that in the vault and remember that um, what her son's name was and remember that this conversation and then follow up with that and say, hey, how is it going? You know, how are these things um, going for you that we talked about last week? So trust is core to relationship building. Give us some suggestions on how to build trust with newer team members. Yeah, this this one's this one's tough in in you know in roles um, such as mine, but I think are, are crucial when situations like we're dealing with in today's society when we're dealing with issues like COVID nineteen. So what I have done probably for the last four years now, not only to build trust but also build relationships and that connectedness, is uh, meeting with um, every new team member after they've been here for about six months. 
and I probably should back up a little bit. What we do as a senior leadership team is every time there's a new employee orientation, we, we get up in front of that group. Um, and sometimes it's anywhere between 20 to 40 team members. It's decreased in size now because we go every two weeks. So on average, it's between 15 and 20 people, let's say. So, you know, we, we, we want to go around the room and get the recognized faces, where they're going to work, what's their role, what's their history in healthcare, are they new to it, where are they from? You know, just really ask those, those quick questions, go around the room, put a name to a face. And then as a senior leadership team, and I try not to miss any of these, but we, t- we talk about, you know, who we are, you know, what our family life is, what our personal life is, what our hobbies are. So I always put a picture of either my family or kind of one of my hobbies up there. Uh, let them know that I live in Armro, a small town just west of here, and you know, and really try to connect with them. And, and it's kind of cool to see because um, there'll be people that I, I don't have any responsibility for. They don't work in an apartment that um, that I oversee. That you know, I'll see in the cafeteria, or I'll see out in public, and because you know we're we're kind of a rural small town, even though that we have seventy thousand people in our city. Um, you, you happen to tendency to run into a lot of people that you work with. So, you know, make those connections very quickly. And then those that I associate a little bit closer with because they're nurses, they're CNAs, they're physicians, I meet with them at six months and I ask very specific questions. Um, and it probably, it gets monotonous for me in regards to the questions, but it's certainly, it's the first time they've been asked them. But what I want to know is, is, really, how's it been going? Be honest with me. Do you feel like you're part of the team? Tell me about your relationships with your supervisor, your educator, your other team members. What's working well? What's not working well? Um, Is there anything we could have done differently to in the last six months to make this a better experience so we can learn from, from what you went through and make this better? And then if, if the environment is right and they're comfortable, you know, I really want to know a little bit more about them. Where did they grow up? Where did they come from? You know, they're already hired, so I don't have to avoid all the HR questions you you can't ask, but try to connect with them a little bit and then really dig into the professional development piece. You know, what are their goals over the next five years? Where do they see them going to? What's your passion? Do you want to get to the ICU? Do you want to get to OB? I'll really try to focus in on their clinical drivers, ask them about their educational goals, because I think trying to get them to think in a way on building their professional portfolio also helps drive, you know, their ultimate goals as a human being, right? Because then we start talking about, I'm, I'm engaged, um, you know, we're going to have a couple kids, you know, we start really opening the door for them to feel comfortable with me as their leader. And what I hope happens is that that comfort level at the top, and I don't mean to say that in a negative connotation, but I hope that their comfort level with me opens up that comfort level then with their supervisor, with other leaders in the organization. And so if they feel that they can walk into my office and have those conversations, then I'm hoping that 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 extends on down and, and on up and over. Spot on. So let's talk for just a minute on relationship building habits. What are some of your daily or weekly habits that help you build bonds with people? Lately, it's been tough because there's been a lot of office time because of COVID and meetings and having to wear a mask everywhere you go. Um, so that it's been, it's been interesting. It's been very, very difficult um, being an extrovert. You know, I'm certainly a hugger. I'm a handshaker. I'm a talker. I, I like to be out and about meeting new people in our organization and, and helping them through whatever concerns they might have or, or, or follow-up questions. So it's been, it's been difficult lately, but really what I try to practice as much as I preach 
is to really get out and, and make that connection. Have those conversations. Uh, my team knows, do not send me an email that goes past two sentences. I just won't read it. Um, and maybe that's a negative thing, but they know that you're better served by coming and finding me, walking through the, the concern, the situation, following up that way. I don't know anybody's phone numbers in the hospital. I literally could not tell you but maybe five people's phone numbers in this hospital because I don't call them. I go to their office. I walk down the hallway, I, which at some point is a selfish thing to do because you don't know what you're interrupting or the time frame that they have. So I've had to cautiously do that and, and respect that a little bit more than maybe I probably would have because sometimes you walk in and people are just like, okay, what, or Shane's here. What, what do you need? And I don't, I don't want that vibe or that feel either. So I had to learn how to do that well. But, you know, it's really taking that time to, to step into somebody else's world where they don't come to you up in second floor administration, right? And have to ask permission to get by an admin assistant to see you. It's to get out there, um, talk with their team members, know that they're, um, that those leaders are supported and that you're supporting that department. So I, I try to do that on a daily basis, uh, weekly. Um, I would say I, I try to get to every department once a week. Again, that is sometimes very difficult for senior leaders to do in an organization. But being here for 17 years, there's pr- there's not a tile I haven't touched. There's not a room I haven't been in. Another example I, I can give you is, you know, the, the manager of food services uh, came up to me and she's been with us for about four years now. And um, she really understands the, the connection between the work that her and her team do to what my team uh, and the nurses do in regards to um, the patient care and the patient's experience. So she challenged me. She said, Shane, I, I really want you to come down here and see what my team does. I want you to get in the kitchen, put a hairnet and a beard net on and just watch the, watch the lines, watch, how, watch the cooks, watch the cafeteria go up to a room with um, with one of our trade delivery tray girls um, and watch that interaction. And I said, absolutely. And uh, so we booked it last week. I you know uh, took an hour and a half out of my time and put my hairnet on and, and went down to the kitchen and followed that team around, a few team members around. And, you know, I got to make those connections and, and I know them all by, by face. And, you know, if they got their badge on, I'll remember their name. But the girl that I followed just happened to be the daughter of one of my supervisors who manages our sexual assault treatment center. And so I've known Leah, she played soccer with my daughter, I went to high school with my kids. And so kind of cool, right? I got to connect with Leah, who I kind of know, but see what her world was. And when we got done, she was like, you know, thanks. Thanks, Mr. Carter for for coming along. And I said, please, you know, Leah, please call me Shane. But and I, it was more of a thanks that I needed to give her because you know, she was able to share a part of who she is and what she does that is an, an, un, an unseen thing that we on the clinical side get to see every single day. And she did it so well. Um, and it's an important part of the work that we do in healthcare. And so I, I do try to take that time as a chief nursing officer to connect with those that I ultimately don't have a responsibility for and don't oversee their work. So whether that's food services, EVS, our patient access people, um, I try to get to know their names, try to understand their work, get into their workspaces, right? As you know, um, get behind the PSR desk and watch them interact with patients and families. 
because I think understanding their work um, is as important as understanding what the nurses do every single day. So that's probably an example of some of the things that I try to focus on on a daily and weekly habit perspective. And it, it might come across as a habit, but it's just because I hate sitting down and I hate being in my office and I hate being in meetings that I just get up and start walking. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm on my feet for two hours and talking to people that probably didn't think I would, you know, come into their department. Now, let's hear your greatest fail forward experience or lesson learned, if you will, around building relationships in the workplace. So probably one of, and it was probably catastrophic in, in essence, but in, in the grand scheme of things turned out pretty well because I got a fantastic OR director. Um, I was recruiting for an OR director of surgical services, which I had just taken over after about four years of being the chief nursing officer. So this was early, you know, it's 2014, 15-ish. And I had a decision between an incumbent leader and an external candidate who had worked for us previously, but was relocating back from Indiana. And it was a difficult decision because, you know, clearly, in, you know, when you don't hire the incumbent, uh, there's a lot of questions why and um, a lot of anger and a lot of frustration, but I felt like I was making the right decision, decided on the external candidate. It was all good. The internal candidate, uh, the potential potential incumbent was um, not happy about it and left the organization. So we were kind of building back from the ground up. Um, and in surgical services, that's, that's very difficult to do. Um, for those hearing this and our surgical services leaders, uh, can't thank you enough for what you do. It is a very, very tough job. And so the OR director came in and in our institution, they also oversee anesthesia services, which is a little unusual, but in a small community-based hospital, sometimes you just have to be a little nimble. So it was not an easy job, wasn't a tough job. I kind of made a lot of assumptions that she was doing well, and I wanted her to be seen as the leader in that department because I was the interim OR director for about three months. So I started building relationships with the PACU supervisor in that team, the OR interim manager in that team, um, the anesthesiologist and the CRNA. So I was really down there quite a bit building those relationships. And so when she, when this leader came on board, I kind of just stepped back and said, you know what? No, this is, this is your ship. I'm here if you need me. But of course, like all things, I got wrapped up into other issues and other concerns. And it wasn't until she, a year later, that said, I'm leaving. I, I, I can't work for you anymore. Um, I never know where you're at. I, I got a lot of feedback from her on how I could have been better to support her and her leadership. But at that moment, I was like, God, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was supporting you by letting you have some autonomy and letting you make your own decisions where clearly she felt the complete opposite, that I wasn't supporting her, that I wasn't doing, you know, I wasn't available. I wasn't visible. And so, you know, from that moment on, you know, after she just gave me kind of a, a quick, I'm out of here. Um, it didn't end well. It didn't go well. Conversations were, you know, I had a hard time accepting that. Um, and so, um, I had to do a lot of reflection and say, you know what? Yes, I could have done things much differently. And primarily is because I never built a relationship with her. I never spent enough time with her to the point where I got to know, got to know her. I got to understand her visual and, and non-visual cues. And it just, it frustrated me. And so I vowed to, to never, to never do that again with particularly a direct report, but particularly a leader um, on my team um, to not get to know in a way where 
I could I could read that from across the room or I could sense that by in an email, right? So in doing so, you know, I, I want my team to make sure that I, I am accessible. So they know how to get a hold of me. My calendar is always posted outside my door. I keep my cell phone on me all the time. We've, you know, really modified our communication tools in regards to our meetings and ensure that our frequency is on a cadence that makes sense. And so I really kind of changed how I led really by that, that one, that one leader just telling me her, you know, she had an opportunity to just throw it all out there at me. And so learned a lot from that experience. So that's probably the, you know, the one faux pas, the one thing that I will never do again is just assume that leaders are in a good spot and you need to check up on them and you need to, to get into their environment and really talk to their their constituents and the, the, their customers that that they ha- that they work with every single day to ensure that it is going in the right direction. Sometimes those challenges slash failures are just our greatest lessons and just root us for the rest of our lives and opportunities to share with others and just be great. So thank you for sharing that. How do you influence others to value and practice relationship building? It's leading by example. It's uh, sharing those moments. Um, with each other. And so, you know, in our organization, we start, we try to start every uh, meeting with a reflection, with a safety moment. And it's in, in that sharing that I think uh, brings us a little bit closer. So we, we've, again, tried to structure some of our cadence of meetings around meaningful conversations, around getting to know each other about, about relationship building. So, you know, trying to get people that otherwise wouldn't work together unless it came down to a crucial conversation or when something goes wrong to start working together in ways in which you can do that in a more passive passionate type of way right so whether that's doing a project or you know whether that's in a lean concept type of way or just uh, process improvement but more importantly on just getting to know each other on a level that makes you comfortable to have those tough conversations. So I guess what I mean by that is uh, take the time, if, if you're comfortable with it, take the time outside of work. So we actually been doing a couple of things for the last couple of years. We call them Friday socials. Now this year we have not been able to do, do anything because like most states, it's been shut down for a bit. And we want to set a good example as a healthcare organization. So we haven't done them this year at all, but um, you know, for the last couple of years, every other month on a Friday, we schedule an, you know, at an outdoor bar slash restaurant, the senior leadership team uh, gets together and, you know, we, we put up the tab and, you know, make it respectable, make it professional and where it's just a social environment where people can get um, to talk about work, but not get into the details about work, whether it's complaining or supporting each other or, you know, just commiserating together. I think that's important to build those relationships. And we do that across hospital and clinic operations. So it's interesting because our market is not just hospital centric. We have a huge physician owned or a physician um, employed practice uh, right in the same building. So we try to cross over the net transitional care concept and get our hospital leaders to talk to our clinic leaders by getting them in a room more often than not. Uh, You know, leaders that might often work together because they're on the same team we try to mix them up and make sure that they're talking to members of the other team, right? So ED and ICU or OR, PACU and the inpatient floors, so on and so forth. So it's really trying to get you know, out of your own environment, out of your own head, you know, get 
non-nurses to talk to nurse leaders and nurse leaders to talk to non-nurse leaders and so on and so forth. It's really trying to connect outside of just the business part of the work that we do. And so now what you, we, what you start to see is they incorporate that into their work life. And so, you know, I've, I've caught my team. I knock on a door and it's around lunchtime. And, you know, there's four leaders in there that have all ordered lunch and are quickly eating their lunch together. And, you know, because it means something to them to, to, to be together, to support each other, do that over, you know, a sandwich or do that over a salad you know, because our cafeteria, you can only sit one person every six feet and one person to a table. So pe- people are starting to congregate a little bit closer together when they probably shouldn't be. But you see them trying to, to yearn for that uh, connectiveness. And now how do you get that to the next level? And a lot of people like don't like to mi- mix business with pleasure. But I think there's, um, there's an opportunity to do that in a way in which it still remains professional, uh, respectful, but also you get to to know people uh, in a way that you haven't, but you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. I could not agree more. Thank you, Shane. Loved learning from you today. I know this episode is going to inspire many leaders. Let's take just a quick break here from our sponsor, and we're going to come back to learn more about you, Shane Carter, on our lightning round. We'll be right back. So in our efforts to launch this healthcare sub-series on Gut Plus Science, my why is Wambi. Wambi specializes in serving the industry that needs the most support, love, and gratitude, and that's healthcare. Together with Wambi, we will be building a community of people-first healthcare leaders and influencers to make a big positive impact on patient satisfaction and overall experience of patients and families, and also engagement of the very valuable healthcare workers in this world. So visit Wambi.org to learn more and hit me up. If you want to talk about the cool partnerships we're working on at Wambi, Nikki and I, K-K-I at Wambi, W-A-M-B-I.org. It'll be in the show notes too. And I am so grateful to be part of this team and part of this movement. Many cool things to come. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science with Shane Carter. Such a great episode. So much information here and great key takeaways. Now it's time for our lightning round where we get to ask some personal questions about Shane. So just a couple quick things. Shane, what's your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? I, I think I admitted this to you before, Nikki. I am just not a, a big reader. So I, I do a, a lot of you know podcasts and, and I'm not a, one of those pleasure readers like my wife who can sit and read a book uh, in a camping weekend and be done with it when it would take me six months. I think the last book I read cover to cover was It by Stephen King. And that was probably when I was back in high school. But I have, you know, obviously because of the profession that I'm in and the leadership position that, that I'm in is one of the ones that I most recently read, and it's because of a podcast on leadership that I listened to, was a uh, a book written, I think, Sean Covey and Chris McChesney. Chris McChesney was the guy that I was listening to. They wrote a book um, on the disciplines of execution. The one th- This book stuck to me because uh, it, it's really about achieving your goals and, more importantly, achieving that wildly important goal. How about a favorite vacation spot? You know, every year we we go to Destin, Florida for spring break. We rent a house down there with two or three other couples with their kids, with the pool on the beach side, and just kind of get away from it all. And then how about a favorite hobby when you're not working? You know, when I'm not working, um, I'm, a, I'm a big outdoorsman. And so particularly bow hunting, white-tailed deer. And Shane, finally, how can our listeners connect with you after the show? 
clearly feel free to, to reach me through LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm even brave enough to, to give you my, my direct contact, my email address, shane.carter at aah.org. You can look me up through Advocate Aurora Health, uh, but LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. Otherwise, you can certainly email me anytime. All right, Shane, thank you so much for your time today and re-emphasizing how important it is to spend time on the skill relationship building. It totally moves the needle forward and helps us in our engagement initiatives at work for sure. Thank you for making that point today loud and clear. Uh, Here's my truth you can act on from Shane. Number one, know your individual employees behind their job title and responsibilities. Like what makes them tick? What's happening at home? What hobbies are they into right now? What exciting is going on in their life? Number two, make live personal connections as often as possible. However that can happen for you, especially during pandemic times or not, how do you make more connections where you're going to them, spending time in their space, in their environment, in whatever way that can look like to make that that true personal connection? Shane referenced walking around on the floors, going to them in their environments, however you can translate to you um, and your people and making those personal connections as often as possible. That's the key point. Number three, don't assume how people are doing. Rather, ask them, how are you doing? And just listen and do this regularly. This builds trust. And especially when we follow up on what we heard the last time to check back on what they said when they shared how they're doing, spending time asking that question, How are you doing? Just listening and then reflecting back. Powerful. Number four, lead by example to help others see the value in relationship building. When they see the energy and the connectivity and the impact that comes from that, they're going to model the behavior as well. We'll see you next week. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.